Well, good morning. My name is Amy. I'm the pastor here at Incarnation. And this morning, we're going to be talking a lot about the law, that law that Jesus, or the man talking to Jesus, just summarized, the law that we always read the summary of at the start of the service, this law to love God with all our heart and body and strength and mind and soul, this law to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so to get us started in thinking about the law and thinking about this teaching of God, I want to just ask a few questions. These are questions for the grown-ups and for the kids. You don't need to call out your answers. They're just things to think about. Think as you think about the law, the words of God, the teachings and the commands of God, the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments, Jesus' parables, do you find these things easy to understand? Do they make sense to you? Do you know what God is expecting of us? And then do you enjoy these commands? Do you actually love them and want them? And do these words sustain you? Do they strengthen and form and nourish you? Well, if your answer to any of these questions is no, or it's complicated, or I used to think I could answer yes to some or all of those, but now I don't really know, don't know what I think, then you're actually in really good company with most of human history, but especially with the hearers of that passage from Deuteronomy 30 that Megan read a few minutes ago and that we're gonna focus on today. But first, just to give us a little bit of context about that book, the book of Deuteronomy is a book of law. It records the law of God that is given to his people after they have been wandering in the desert and they are just about to enter the promised land. So they have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They have been led by a pillar of fire and smoke through the desert. They have been fed manna and quail. They have been given rock or water from rocks and rocks, I suppose. Um, they have been wandering for 40 years, and now they are right on the edge of that land that they are going to walk into, and this book of Deuteronomy is given. God gives Moses this book of laws. It fills out the Ten Commandments, the law that they've already received. It adds some detail, it adds some scaffolding, it adds some very specific cultural stuff. It tells them when you go into this land, this is how you're going to live. This is how you're going to look like people who love and trust the God who rescues you, the God who gives you everything. And so this law that is given in Deuteronomy, it's for their good. It's there to create this common life that holds them together, that keeps their society just and cohesive, that keeps them connected to God, to their source of life and goodness and mercy. That's most of the book of Deuteronomy, is just law. And then toward the end, which is where our chapter falls, you get these chapters of blessings and curses. So you hear these blessings that if the people obey the law, then they will reap blessings. And then most of these latter chapters are curses. Disobey the law and you will reap curses. And they are terrible curses. They touch every aspect of life and creation. They cast this really horrifying vision of a bleak and meaningless life 
a life of pain and alienation. And even though the language of cursing in these chapters of Deuteronomy is vivid, sometimes shocking, and the cultural markers and the geographic setting don't really map onto where we are, when we read them, we can actually hear echoes of curses that are familiar to us. The curses of just senseless and obscene violence everywhere. Curses of environmental disaster and degradation, of land that won't yield what people need. Curses of scarcity, of insecurity around resources and around people and safety. Curses of illnesses that claim too many lives, that claim lives too soon and too painfully. And there are curses of injustice on this mass scale. There is just endemic loneliness and this chronic state of sorrow and pain and fear and shame. Ultimately, these curses are cast as this death sentence. And a lot of them end in death. And even though the world of cursing that is described in Deuteronomy is different from our world, I think we can look around and see the evidence of those curses and that death sentence in so much of what we are living and breathing and reading in the headlines. But if we come back to the world of the text, to Deuteronomy, Finally, we are getting to today's chapter, which comes after those chapters of blessings and curses. It comes in chapter 30, and Megan picked up reading in the middle of it, but the first part of chapter 30, Moses is actually speaking as a prophet here. He's speaking prophetically. He tells the Israelites that a time is coming when all of those terrible curses will come to pass. They are going to be cut off from this land that they haven't even set foot in yet. They're going to be in captive and live as exiles, taken on this death march across the desert. They're going to live under the thumb of their enemies, and they're going to forget who they are. Their memory of their identity as God's beloved people, as God's rescued people, as people who have received mercy again and again. It's just going to fade into the background. And then it's here, here in Deuteronomy and here in the life of these people, under this death sentence of curse and judgment, under this place of oppression from their enemies, it's here that this word of hope breaks in. Verses 4 to 6 say, Even if you are exiled to the ends of the world, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, in order that you may live. Now, Moses doesn't say, you might be tempted to break the law, so get your act together quick so that you don't face curses. No, Moses, speaking prophetically, says, you are going to break the law. You will not be able to get your act together. You are going to enter into this curse of death. But God raises dead things to life, and God restores cursed things to blessing. 
And so God will gather you up from wherever you have been scattered and oppressed. God will bring you home. And then God will circumcise your hearts. We've talked about circumcision, strangely, for a few weeks. Uh, but God is going to perform this life-saving surgery on your innermost being so that you don't just obey God's ways, but you actually love God's ways. You want to live under his goodness. And this is where today's reading picks up. At this place where hope is breaking in, this moment when death is giving way to life and the curse is giving way to blessing and restoration is assured. So listen to verses 8 through 10 again. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all your undertakings, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your livestock, in the fruit of your soil. For the Lord will take delight in prospering you just as he delighted in prospering your ancestors. When you obey the Lord your God by observing his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law, because you turn to your Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. There are two things that I want us to notice in this promise of restoration here. And the first one is just that language of delight. It doesn't just say God will do these things. It says God will delight to do these things. God will delight to give good gifts to his people. God enjoys taking care of them. And God enjoys taking care of us. He enjoys making our lives fruitful. And this maybe doesn't sound like a very interesting observation, but I think so often we live and believe, I hear from so many of you, and I see in my own life, we live as though God does not delight in us. That somehow God is indifferent or impatient or even angry or just annoyed and frustrated with us, maybe as annoyed and frustrated as we often are with ourselves. But that is not the witness of scripture. Even here in the book of the law, God delights in the good work that he's doing in our lives. He enjoys it. And then the second thing I want us to notice is that God is restoring his people so that they can live wholeheartedly under his law. That is what he made them to do, and he gave them the law so that they could live within his goodness. And he's not going to take that responsibility off their shoulders, even after he rescues and restores them. He's not going to say, never mind, that was sort of a flaw and a bad idea. That was obviously way too hard for you guys. And we're going to lower the standard and just come up with something a little more doable. Instead, he's going to give them what they need so that they can live that way. He's going to give them a heart that is circumcised, a heart that continually turns toward God, a heart that depends on his mercy, that not only loves him, but wants to love him. And then listen to verses 11 to 14. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven. Neither is it beyond the sea. No, the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. The word, that's another way of saying the law here, 
is very near to them. It is not impossible. It is not too lofty and heavenly. And it's not too far away. It's actually livable. And it's right here. It's as near as their breathing mouths, as near as their beating hearts. And there's an echo here of something that was said much earlier in the book of Deuteronomy about how the people should keep the word near to them through memorizing and reciting it often, through just forming habits that hold it close. And I think it's important to keep the context of these verses in mind, because remember, this is in the middle of this prophecy of how the people will face curse and judgment and then be restored. So this vision of nearness is given to people who have tasted the curse of death and then have been brought back into God's way of life. And so the nearness of the law and all the things they do to hold it close it has to be lived in that context, this context of people who have received mercy. That is the only way that they are going to be able to live with this moment by moment, breath by breath, beat by beat, trust in the God who brings dead things to life, whose mercy is going to outrun their worst failures. So it becomes this invitation to again and again and again, to turn to the mercy of God, to believe that God will give them what they need, that only God can give them what they need, and to even dare to believe that God will enjoy doing it. So here they are invited to live under God's gracious and good and loving rule, breath by breath. And we don't often think about gracious invitations and these merciful pictures of grace being in the middle of the Old Testament law, but here it is. And then Paul picks this up in the New Testament. This is not one of our lectionary readings, but he pulls from this chapter in Romans chapter 10, and then he looks at it in light of the person of Jesus and just infuses the whole thing with this new, fresh, imaginative power because he sees and names Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the word that was made so near that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was resurrected from the dead and broke the stronghold of the curse that we see everywhere in our world. And Jesus is remaking that world and bringing all things back unto the good rule of God. And now Jesus lives by the Spirit in us, in his people, in his church. And so in Romans 10, Paul captures all of this and says Jesus is near to us with this nearness that goes way beyond reciting and memorizing and forming good habits, as good as all those things are. But now Jesus' own life is lived in us, and our life is lived in him, and his breath is our breath and his heartbeat is our heartbeat. He's that near. And it's a really good thing he is, because Jesus' teaching actually shows that keeping the law, living under God's good rule in the rules of his kingdom, it's actually a lot harder and more demanding even the people of Deuteronomy could imagine. 
Jesus is always intensifying the law, taking it down not just to what people do, but what their motives are for doing what they do, what they want, what they desire, what they love. That's definitely what happens in the gospel reading that we read just a few minutes ago, that really familiar story of the Good Samaritan, where we see Jesus say to the expert in the law, oh, you thought you had checked the box of loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You thought you had checked the box of loving your neighbor as yourself. But your category for a neighbor is way too narrow. Your vision for God's love is way too small. And again and again and again, Jesus teaches and lives that God's law of love is so much wider than they had ever realized. It is wide enough to extend to people on the margins, people who are hurting, like the person left dead, but also people like the Samaritan, people viewed as outcasts, heretics, people who are unclean, people who are enemies. And Jesus issues this impossible demand to love those people the way he loves them to go and do likewise. But then the same Jesus who issues that demand also fulfills that demand when he loves his own enemies to his death on the cross. And now that same Jesus lives in us by his spirit. He fulfills the law in us, in our own flesh. And he empowers us to live this life of wide-reaching, far-searching, self-giving love for God and for our neighbors. Well, I started this sermon just asking you to think about how do you feel about the law of God, the commandments of God, the teachings of God, whether you love them, whether you understand them, whether you feel like you're conforming your life to them or meeting them, and I hope in asking those questions, you felt permission to honestly say no. Because the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, God's yes is always outrunning our no. God's grace is always outrunning our failures. Jesus is always bringing dead things to life. And Jesus' life is in us, and our life is in him enabling us to live the good life under God's reign that he made us for.